was a joy to be with you this morning and a joy again to be with you tonight this time, not merely to bring the word of Devin, the former fellow, but to bring the word of God himself tonight. As we read Isaiah 12, and as we hear, not just in order to have the sensations of our earbuds tickled, but to understand, to have God's word unpacked and explained. So please turn with me in your Bibles, if you're able, to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. Our text is going to be verse 3 of Isaiah 12. But before I read our text for tonight, please join me in prayer. Father, it is our great desire this evening that we would not just hear and then have the meaning of your word dissipate and dissolve to disappear, to leave no lasting impression, but that we would hear your voice and that we would understand and that we would take to heart, deep into our heart, your grace. We thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. We thank you that he has revealed you and the sureness of all your promises and that the Holy Spirit has been sent into our hearts and minds to lead us into truth. We pray that that's exactly what would happen tonight as we hear your word preached. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Isaiah chapter 12 Verse 3, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is the holy and inerrant word of God. Now, it might seem a little bit strange to hear this brief verse out of context, but it's helpful to understand what's taking place around this verse. Several generations before the prophet Isaiah began his ministry, the kingdom of Israel, which had once been united, had split into two smaller nations. One of them, the nation of Israel, uh, took, kept the name Israel, was in the north, and, and the second nation to the south was named Judah. And at the time that Isaiah was born in his youth, as he was growing up, there was a king in, in, in the kingdom of Judah, the nation of Judah, whose name was Uzziah. And he was a descendant of the great king David. And it was under the reign of King Uzziah that Judah actually had somewhat of a resurgence. There was unprecedented, uh, well, there, there was a form of return to prosperity that hadn't been experienced since the days of Solomon. There was a unique uh, thriving of their economy and their mil military actually gained a, a level of prowess over their local enemies that hadn't been enjoyed for some time. And so very few people in Judah had concerns about the future. They were living almost back in the good old days. But within Isaiah's lifetime, everything began to change. Multiple enemies around Judah began to threaten the people of God. The prosperity that they used to take for granted was immediately 
called into question. And the people began to have these questions that they hadn't wrestled with before. Perhaps questions that you and I sometimes wrestle with. Questions like, will the world be safe for me in 10 years? What sort of future is there going to be for my children and grandchildren? Doesn't God see what's happening here? Won't he do something to save us? And these are the sorts of questions that the Spirit of God engages with through the writings of Isaiah. And at, and at the moment in history where Isaiah wrote this text, it looked like the ungodly Assyrian Empire was going to engulf Palestine, that they would win the day, that they had things going for them. But in Isaiah 10, God tells us what Assyria's future will be. It's a future of punishment, of wasting sickness, of a burning fire. In contrast, in Isaiah 11, God tells his people what their future is. He says that he will raise up a king for them from the stump of Jesse, from David's line. There will be a new return, a resurgence of the empire, uh, of, of his people. And this king who rises will defeat all their enemies, and he will rule over them in perfect peace. He will deliver the remnant of God's people from their bondage, and will gather them from all nations into this lasting kingdom. And the New Testament reveals exactly who that promised king is. The Spirit of God was telling Isaiah about the arrival of Jesus Christ 700 years before he was born in Bethlehem. And from our vantage point in human history, we know now that this king that Isaiah looked at from afar, that king has come. We know that the Savior of God's people has come for us which confirms to us what God's unbreakable word had already promised. The people of God have a future. It makes sense that the wicked, ungodly world would be trembling anxiously about their future. Their future is like a serious future. Wasting sickness, burning fire, punishment. But the, the future of the people of God is vastly different. We don't have reason to fear for our future. Take away our jobs and income and we'll still have a vocation and a reward from the Lord. Take away our earthly comforts and we'll still have a peace that passes understanding. Take away our food and we'll still have the bread, not just of temporary life, but of eternal life. And when Isaiah looks forward to the day of King Jesus, when he looks forward to our day, he doesn't see the people of God moaning about their situations. But what he sees is he sees the people of God rejoicing over their salvation. Isaiah 12, verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away uh, so that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. 
I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And the text goes on to say in verse 3 what else we're going to be doing in that day. It says, with joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. And so we're going to camp out on this text this evening because it so helpfully gives us a picture of how we as Christians should utilize the gospel of Christ. It teaches us how to live in light of the realness of God's salvation, which has come to us. It teaches us how to draw waters from the wells of salvation. So with God's help, I aim to show from the text that God intends for his people to refresh their souls by making use of the special grace that he supplies. And I'm going to do this by explaining first the source of this well, second, the supply from the well, third, the struggle at the well, and fourth, the satisfaction that we get from this well. So first, the source of the well, the source of the well. I want to start off everything here by clarifying Isaiah isn't claiming that there's some sort of literal water source hidden in the, the mountains of the Middle East called the wells of salvation. No, here he's speaking figuratively. He's using an illustration to make a spiritual point. So to understand the author's intent, we need to see what the symbolism here is referring to. The wells are a symbol for our salvation. This is what Isaiah means when he calls them the wells of salvation. The water in the well refers to something else, something distinct. Isaiah doesn't speak about the water of salvation. He speaks about water that's contained within the wells of salvation. So since the wells represent our salvation, the waters are the good things, the benefits which belong to our salvation and flow from them. Or flow from it, I should say. Flow from our salvation. So this well of salvation Isaiah mentions, where does it come from? How did this, how did this salvation get opened up for us? Well, it's worth noting that one very common way of getting water in the ancient Middle East was by digging wells. And this is because in ancient Palestine, surface water was very scarce. Lakes were uncommon. There were some rivers and streams, but many of them actually dried up with infrequent rainfall. And so someone figured out along the line that if you had a crew of people working with their hands or with sharpened pieces of wood or with other tools, after weeks of manual labor, it was possible that 50 feet down or so, you could find a clean water source. So with a lot of human effort and a bit of good luck, you could find water. But, but when our passage here is speaking about the wells of salvation... The Hebrew word actually doesn't refer to one of these hand-dug pits. The word here actually refers to a spring, a, a fountain, a, a place where water bubbles up from the ground. And springs like this could also be found around Palestine. They existed naturally, without any intervention from mankind. These springs of water were places made by God. 
places where he freely supplied water for his people. So here in our text, the Spirit of God isn't talking about man-made wells of salvation because we can't make salvation by our own skill. Our effort and aptitude can't secure for us a future of everlasting joy and life. No, God's word is talking here about divinely opened springs of salvation. The wellspring of our salvation has been designed, established, and supplied to us by a gracious God. He has opened this fountain entirely by himself. We have contributed nothing. We can't take credit for the structure of the well, for the depth of the shaft, for the quality of the water, because every part of this well is designed to showcase the wisdom and the power of God. We, we can't take any credit for covering the expenses to build the well, because the Son of God has paid the full cost of the well with his own blood. We can't boast as though we deserve this well because when we see what true righteousness and true purity looks like in the face of Jesus Christ, and when we see the, the depth and the ugliness of our selfishness, our corruption, our arrogance, our thanklessness, our rebellion against God's commands, it's clear that we don't deserve a fountain of spiritual water. No, we deserve a pit of eternal fire, far away from God's presence, far away from his kindness, far away from his goodness. But this is the good news. Even when we were undeserving, even when we were digging all the wrong places and coming up dry, even when we were spiritually dead and unable to dig at all, Jesus Christ opened this well for us. He suffered the full consequence we deserved for all our offenses against a perfect, holy, deserving God. Jesus perfectly obeyed the full law of God on behalf of his people. And through the work of Jesus, there is no more work to be done. God provides his saving grace as a gift. He has single-handedly opened the wells of salvation to us. God is the source of the well because he has established this well. Because he has opened this well for us. But he's also the source of the well in that he is the origin of the water, the life-giving substance in the well. All the benefits of our salvation flow from him. And since God himself is infinite and inexhaustible, it means that the springs of salvation will never run dry. The springs of salvation are secure and steady because they flow from a God who is unchangeable and everlasting. Throughout the ages, men and women have quenched all their thirsting 
at this unceasing fountain. And if you were to come back in 10,000 years, the well would be just as potent, just as constant. And it doesn't take a very smart person to look around this world and to see that steadiness like this is exceedingly rare. The world is filled with things that are finite and failing. Mountains are worn down into grains of sand. Stars fade and burn out. Our heroes die. Empires fall. The world is shifting and unstable to the extent that ancient philosophers claimed that there's nothing more constant than change. But the philosophers were wrong. Because long before this world came into existence with all of its ups and downs and back and forths, the unchangeable God existed in the fullness of his perfection. And kids, the unchangingness of God, it has a fancy name. It's called his immutability, meaning that God does not mutate. His, his being, his existence hasn't grown more or less. His power hasn't been going weaker or stronger. His wisdom hasn't increased or decreased. He doesn't stop being what he was so that he can start becoming something else. No, the unaltered excellence of God always has been. And it is. And it forever will be. You can trust this God to provide you with an unchanging, stable salvation because he is truly a stable and unchanging God. And sometimes it might feel like God's favor goes up or down depending on how good you've been today. Sometimes you may be tempted to think that the security of your salvation fluctuates with how strong your faith feels at any given moment. But when your faith is resting on the perfections of an unchanging Savior, you can know that the status of your salvation will not change, even when your experience of his salvation does seem to change. I hope that you're encouraged to, rem to, to remember that you have an unchanging God who has opened for you an unchanging fountain of salvation. And it's a place where you can find rest for your soul. Now this raises the question though, what exactly is it that we receive at this unchanging fountain? What does this well of salvation supply for us? And so this brings me to my second point, the supply from the well. The supply from the well. Well, just as the well represents salvation, the waters supplied by the well refer to the benefits that belong to and flow out of salvation. And before we consider what these benefits are or what they include, I want you to realize just for a moment, what it would have been like to read this passage from the perspective of someone in ancient Palestine. Because here in Michigan, we often take water for granted. 
We're surrounded by several of the biggest lakes in the world. And in an age of well drilling equipment, water treatment plants, and indoor plumbing, we can get water just by turning on a faucet. Water doesn't seem to be particularly valuable. It's not hard for us to get. We just assume that we'll have abundant water all the time. But for someone in ancient Israel, water sources were much more precious. Having water meant abundance, it meant fruitfulness, it meant life. And having no water, it was poverty, it was barrenness, it was death. And if we're going to feel the force of this passage, we can't take water for granted. You'll see that, you'll, you'll have to see the emptiness of the desert. You'll have to recognize the urgency of finding an oasis for your soul. We need to come to the fountain open to us by Christ and see how precious it is that we can drink deeply of all his benefits. So what are these benefits? What are the good gifts that God gives to us in our salvation? There are many of them. But let me take some time to mention a few. In our salvation, in your salvation, you are raised out of spiritual deadness. And God pours his own spirit upon you to give you new birth and life. Though a great division, an impassable gulf once existed between you and God, he unites you to Jesus Christ by faith and brings you near. And it's in Christ that God places his favor upon you. If you're in Christ, then you've been ransomed. You've been bought out of the cost of your crimes toward God by the payment of Jesus' precious blood. Though you and I were unjust and evil, we've been credited with the righteousness of Christ. Though we were violent and rebellious, we've been given a gift of peace with God. We who were corrupt and defiled are cleansed. We who were guilty and condemned have received free pardon. We who, re who were rejected for our shameful ways have been reinstated in honor. We who were once orphans and outcasts are adopted as children into the household of Almighty God. We who felt empty and hollow are filled with his fullness. We who were anxious have gained rest for our innermost beings. We who were once aimless and confused have received clear direction for living. We who were fearful and faint-hearted have received a steadfast anchor for the soul in times of trouble. Through Christ, we receive precious promises from God. We receive confident access to him, to the throne room in heaven, in prayer. We gain assurance that he is ours and that we are his. 
We benefit from Jesus' prophetic work as he attends to us by giving us his living word. We continue to benefit from his priestly work as he advocates for us from the Father's right hand. We continue to benefit from his kingly work as he leads us into his ways and overcomes the evil that would threaten to undo us. And though we were once powerless slaves under our sin, Christ now empowers us by his Holy Spirit to freely walk in godliness. We were once lost and blind, but now the Spirit guides us into truth. He enables us to withstand many temptations, and he directs us back to the gospel when we fall. He trains us to put our sinful desires to death, and he cultivates within his children every kind of spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He keeps us humble in seasons of fame and success, and he teaches us contentment in times of great loss and sorrow. And the Spirit guarantees to us that the Father has given us an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And in Christ, we have the promises of eternal life, everlasting glory, and endless happiness in the near presence of God. All these things and more are the benefits that he pours out upon us in our salvation. Oh, how generous God is to his people. The well of salvation is never empty. The fountain overflows with water for your enrichment. These benefits are intended to guard you from despair, to motivate you to good works, to inflame your godly affections, to lead you into repentance and restoration, to delight your heart, to arouse your gratitude, to eliminate your boasting, to pacify your guilty conscience. These benefits are intended to enrich you in every way, and to give you the life which is truly life. Well, in the days of Isaiah, it looked like the ungodly forces of Assyria were prospering. It looked like they had the benefits that were truly worth seeking. It looked like Assyria had a future and that God's people would soon be destroyed. But you tell me, where is Assyria today? They're gone. They enjoyed their season of earthly triumph and influence. But within a, within a few short years, it fell to pieces. But God has supplied for his people rich benefits that can never be taken away. God has given us a true hope, a secure future that will reach its climax when Christ the King comes and his kingdom is known by all people, in all places, for all time. So when you feel afraid, when you're tempted to worry about the days to come, consider again what God has provided in the gospel of his salvation. 
because God in his freeness gives to his people abundant benefits that will not fail. These wells of salvation have been established once and for all by the work of Christ. And this fountain steadily flows with precious benefits for your soul. But you and I need to ask, how do we, how do we scoop up this water? How do we make use of it? How do, we, how do we get this water into our innermost being? And this brings me to my third point. The struggle at the well. The struggle at the well. You'll notice in our text this morning that, or this evening, I should say, that the Spirit says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. There is a task here that is described. Consider for a moment what it means to draw water from a well. Drawing water is a, a task that involves activity and effort. It requires you to lower your container down into the well and to lift the water out. And in a similar way, we're called as Christians to draw water from the wells of salvation, to earnestly bring up his benefits to where we can engage with them, to, to where we can seek out his grace so that we, we we're putting our faith into action and, and, and meditating and, and reflecting and internalizing what the wells of salvation are holding for us. But of course, when we talk about this concept of drawing water, we, we don't scoop God's grace out of a well with literal buckets. God has given us some special tools for experiencing this refreshment in Christ. Some people call these things spiritual disciplines. Others call them the means of grace. But these activities include reading the Bible, meditating on God's word, obeying his commands, hearing the scriptures preached, receiving baptism in the Lord's Supper as signs of God's mercy that are visible and palpable, giving thanks to God, confessing sin, and spending time in other forms of prayer, having spiritual conversation and accountability with other believers. These are all ways that God invites us to take up this grace, to experience it, to bring it near to us. He's given us these activities so that we can intimately know the benefits that belong to our salvation. These spiritual disciplines aren't a to-do list of good works that you do to be saved. These are not just empty, formal rituals that we do simply for the sake of tradition. And they aren't intended to be a burden. Spiritual disciplines are a gift. Spiritual disciplines are like containers in your hands that God supplies you with so that you can bring this water up into your soul. Notice, though, the spiritual disciplines themselves aren't the waters from the well. They're just the buckets and the cups. Simply picking up these spiritual disciplines won't quench your thirst. These are the things that you use for bringing the grace up to internalize it. So that you can take it in. So that you can be changed by it. 
For as long as the water is still distant from you, as long as it's down in the bottom of the well, as long as it's down shimmering in the bucket, it, it can't refresh you. What use is it to sit by the wells of salvation if you don't draw the water up and use it? What good is it to, to have the springs of God if you never use them? How will it help you to merely see the brightness of the flowing fountain if you never drink from it? See, God has provided both this well and the tools for drawing water from this well, and he's done it for a reason. Because he wants you to, to, to put your faith into action. He wants you to scoop up his benefits into your cup. He wants you to feel the cool splash of his goodness in your soul. But I've called this point the struggle at the well because the task of drawing water from this well is often difficult. Using spiritual disciplines can be really hard. Getting God's grace out of the well and into our hearts doesn't always happen the way that we think it should. And many of us know this struggle on a daily basis. And there are many reasons why drinking from this well is difficult. One big problem we can face is simply the motivation to come to the well in the first place. We struggle to simply come because we don't feel like it. We don't consider how worthwhile it is to get to the destination. And an another reason why we struggle to drink from the well, though, is because we overload our schedules. We make time for feeding our body, for feeding our ego, for feeding our fears and our anxieties, for feeding our addiction to entertainment, for feeding our grudges. But when it comes to nourishing our own souls, we're too busy. Father, forgive us. But we struggle to make use of this water for other reasons, too. Sometimes we experience dryness, even when we're practicing spiritual disciplines every day. This can be really disillusioning. The same things that used to fire us up may leave us feeling cold and confused. So how is this possible? Well, it's possible because our hearts are still affected by the corrupting influence of sin. Our hearts don't want things rightly. They don't understand things rightly. They don't experience things rightly. So there are times when your sinful heart may dislike God's grace, may want to ignore it, may fail to feel it, even when his grace is present and is active in your heart. When you use spiritual disciplines without feeling refreshment, then... Don't be discouraged. God is still working for your good. 
See, sometimes God actually even allows us to experience this dryness because he wants to guard us from making our Bible time and prayer time an empty routine. If it required no effort, if it was just like coming and dropping a quarter in a slot and getting a candy bar out the other side, there would be no real engagement, no urgency. But when we have these seasons of dryness, it casts us upon God in a unique way when we come to his word and when we come to him in prayer. There's a wrestling that happens at the well that wouldn't be there if it was always a cakewalk. The Lord uses it to grow our faith, to wean us off of trusting our experiences and our emotions. Because he wants us to trust in the objectiveness of his promises. He wants us to trust in his, his power, and his faithfulness. And not to trust merely in rituals that we incorporate in our daily life. God also uses seasons of dryness to bring wayward sons and daughters back to himself. If you're stubbornly clinging to some sort of evil habit or attitude, it shouldn't surprise you if you feel dry. In those dry seasons, God may actually be at your doorstep, knocking to get your attention, almost as though God is saying, give it up. Come back to my fountain and I will wash you. Come back to me and I will again refresh you. Getting to the fountain is often a struggle, yet once we get there, once we've tasted the water again, the struggle, the struggle still isn't over because sometimes we come to the fountain, we get just a small taste, and we think that we've drank deeply. We often put our Bible aside before we've had a chance to truly be impacted by it. We get, we get splashed in the face with a few drops of water, and we mistakenly think that our thirst has been quenched. We're always wet but never drinking. Does this describe you? You may need to ask, how can you make sure that your time in the word is really going deep enough to hit the water? How can you take the grace of God deep into your mind and heart so that it actually is affecting your soul, so that your innermost being is, is gripped by it? How can you make sure that this is happening regularly? When you push through the distractions and temptations, when you once again behold the benefits of God's salvation for you, do you regret those times? Do you regret the amount of effort it took to bring you to that point where you were once again reminded of all that Christ is for you in the gospel? Of course not. You don't regret those things. Because it's worth it. 
It would be like a, a thirsty child regretting filling a cup with pure water. And so, let me exhort you, encourage you, press on, go deep, seek after this water. How tragic would it be if you spent your whole life at the edge of the well, watching other people drink, but never knowing the freshness of God's grace yourself? How unfortunate would it be if you felt the thirstiness of your soul year after year after year, decade after decade, but you never once tasted the water that God is freely offering you. Please use the means that God has given to you. Exert yourself with all the grace he supplies. Refresh yourself with the benefits of his salvation. Do what you can even to motivate yourself, to speak to yourself. Urge yourself to re recall the grace of God and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This wrestling is important. We need to keep coming back to this fountain. I have one more point, and it's very brief. I simply want to point out that the waters here are truly good that drinking from this well is satisfying this is my fourth and final point the satisfaction from the well the prophet isaiah promises that in the day of the promised king in the era of jesus christ his people will draw water from the wells of salvation and what attitude will they have they will do it with joy with joy You'll draw waters from these wells of salvation. And when we say that we'll draw water with joy, this doesn't mean that life will always feel happy and easy. Because in this life, Jesus assured his people that we will have trials. Economies will crescendo and collapse. Armies will conquer and crumble. The church will experience times of peace and terrors of persecution. We will at times experience excruciating thirst in this life. But you know what sets us apart from the rest of the world is this. We have a fountain. We have a future. We will not perish in our thirst, but we will live. What a gift. What a promise that God supplies us with water that will forever sustain us, that will forever encourage us, that will forever satisfy us. How can this not create joy in your heart? Don't you see this provision from God is real. It's offered before you at this moment. It's offered before you every time you open your Bible. Every time you cry out to God in prayer. Every time God displays his kindness to you in baptism in the Lord's Supper. Every time you gather with the people of God to reflect on the things of God. Do you know the joy that comes with experiencing God's salvation? 
Rest your heart in his unchanging grace. Drink deeply from his springs. Plunge your thirst into the pool of divine mercy, and your soul will be satisfied. God has opened for you and I the well of salvation. He supplies us with the grace we need in the present, and he promises his grace for us in the future. Our future is not a future of dryness and death, because he has supplied for us a fountain that wells up to eternal life, to spiritual life, and the happiness and security of his presence. And I've come to see that these, these waters that he offers, these are waters that I desperately need every day. Waters that strengthen my weary soul. Waters that silence my anxious thoughts. Waters that humble my boastful heart. Waters that satisfy my deepest longings. I don't speak from a position of superior strength. I speak as someone who is needy for refreshment. For someone who is needy for grace who is needy for God himself. Friends, you and I need these waters. And so I stand here tonight pleading with you that if you're an outsider and a stranger to God's salvation, you need to come. In Isaiah 55, the word of God cries to us, Come, everyone who thirsts, you know who that is? That's all of us. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. He doesn't ask you to fix yourself or fill yourself before you come. He simply urges you, admit your emptiness without him. Give up trying to earn his love. Stop trying to glue together a flimsy morality that falls short of his standard. Abandon your excuses and your distractions. Quit pretending that you don't need his grace as much as other people do. And come to his fountain to be filled. Take hold of Jesus Christ for salvation and enjoy all his benefits. And for those of you who have this Jesus, who've already found the well of salvation, don't just stand next to it. Don't take for granted that it's there. Make use of it. Take spiritual disciplines into your hands every day and draw up the grace of God into your heart. And as you do, consider that the unchanging, almighty God is the source of all of the wondrous things that you find there. Rejoice that the well fills you and supplies you with abundant benefits. And prepare yourself to press on, even if it's a struggle, knowing that he has given you a future, knowing that the waters of God's mercy will forever satisfy you. Please pray with me. Lord, we rejoice 
in the freeness and the fullness of your grace toward us. I pray that you would continue to use your word tonight and into the coming week, the coming months, to arouse the sleepy, to redirect those who are distracted, to encourage those who are discouraged and faint-hearted, and to draw the wandering back to where they can find life so that they would drink deeply of your grace so that we would all together have our thirst satisfied in the richness that you have supplied to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.